security blanket. A blanket or other familiar item carried especially by a young child to provide reassurance and feeling of psychological security. So, the question is, does a security blanket actually provide security? Or just the feeling of security? And what are the chances that we might be confidently clinging to things that are just actually security blankets? Well, we are kicking off a brand new series this morning called Security Blankets, and we're going to talk about the things that we cling to for security and the things that God wants us to truly be clinging to. So the title of my message this morning is Scripture Alone. If you have your Bible, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and as you're looking for 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I just want to go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to speak your word to your people, whether they're here in the room, whether they're out in the commons area, whether they're watching online live, or whether they may catch this um, at another time. You know what they need to hear, and so Father, I pray that you would prepare every heart, that you would open up every ear to be able to hear your truth, and may it penetrate, God, um, even the hardest of hearts to get to the core of who we are. So it can cause the transformation that you desire to bring you glory. We thank you, Lord, for doing what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have 2 Corinthians, we're going to go to chapter 13 and look at verse 5. Where Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. My intentions in this series and in this message today are twofold. My first intention is to bring a warning, because I believe God will use this series to bring a strong warning to cause us to do what we just read, and that is to examine ourselves. This is part of the journey of being a Christ follower, a regular examining of ourselves to make sure that we are taking God seriously, that we don't get relaxed or weary in well-doing, that we don't just go through the motions and get caught up in some cycle of what we think is following Christ, but really it's not following Christ. It's just us clinging to some form or some pattern or some tradition, and we miss Christ in the middle of all of it. This is a very serious charge that Paul gives us to examine ourselves because he also says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 and 28 concerning holy communion that we also should take time and examine ourselves before we really make this concern, this claim that we're a part of God's family. To really look at our motives, to examine our motives. Why are we doing this? Are we really serious about this? Are we really a Christ follower? Are we really saved? And if after examination we find that we are not, here's what we need to do. We need to repent of our sin and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and walk in the new life that He has given us as a new creation in Christ. 
So my first intention is to issue a warning, and my second intention is to expose the lies of the enemy that you have believed that maybe you're okay because you've checked all the right boxes, and because you've checked all the right boxes, you feel secure. These security blankets that we carry around just like a child makes us no safer because we have that blanket. Folks, a child's blanket is not going to save them from a car accident or a fire any more than our ideas of being a good, moral, ethical, upstanding citizen is going to save us from the wrath of God. I want us to walk away from this series having examined ourselves, taking the necessary actions that God's calling us to, and finding our security, our hope, our joy, our freedom, and our peace in the truth of what God has said and what God has spoken in His Word and nothing else. So if you have your Bible, you can flip over again. Let's go to Mark this time, chapter 7. Let's look at Mark 7. <clears throat> and we're going to read verse 1 through 9. Mark 7, verse 1 through 9. All right, Mark 7, 1 through 9, it says this. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and they saw that one of the disciples ate with his hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, they said, why do your disciples, why do they not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they're eating food with defiled hands? And Jesus answers them by saying, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, verse 9, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Pretty strong words from a question that was asked about why aren't your disciples washing their hands? And it seems really harsh at first glance over hand washing, doesn't it? I mean, if you just look at this, from the onset, you're going, really? Like, you're just calling these guys hypocrites because they're asking you why you and your disciples aren't washing their hands? But here's what Jesus was doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was exposing the fact that the Pharisees had taken a part of the Mosaic law meant for the priest in the ceremonial cleansing, the ceremonial cleansing which made one pure and able to offer sacrifices to the Lord in Exodus 30 and 19 and 40 and 12. And they had applied this practice to everything they did because they thought that the act of washing hands showed others how holy and qualified to be in the service of God and that they were. And Jesus and his disciples were being accused by the Pharisees of being unqualified. Because if you guys are walking around doing all these things in the name of God, and you're not washing your hands like we are, are you saying that you guys are better than us, or you're not following this command? He was trying to disqualify and discredit the validity of Jesus and the disciples. And it was more than just a simple washing of hands. And Jesus made it very clear 
their intention. He exposed the intent of their heart by the very next thing that he said, which is why we know that the Pharisees did not have a pure motive in the question they were asking, because Jesus immediately goes into accusing them of being hypocrites that Isaiah prophesied about. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you guys, you hypocrites, because you're more concerned about the tradition of men and keeping on that and, and holding fast to that than you are actually following the commandments of God. This is more important to you, is what he's saying. You found something that you've made more important than actually following God's true command. Because Jesus was exposing this thing that we need to get. We need to understand something. Tradition can be good, but tradition does not save you. Amen, somebody? Tradition does not save you. Jesus quoted Isaiah where he said, Their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me. So how do you worship God in vain? You're making this thing all about you. You're puffing yourself up. You're wanting others to look at how spiritual that you are because of what you're doing, the spiritual act. Oh, look at this act of generosity that I did. Look at how I gave my time. Look at how I gave my, my, my treasure. Look at what I donated. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the big sacrifice I've been willing to make. And we try to draw all this attention to ourselves. And let me tell you something, church. God does not share his glory with any of us. It's reserved for him and him alone. And God has recently even dealt with me about this in certain areas of my life. Back when I was at the Abbey in a, on spiritual retreat back in January, God began to show me in little ways how he told me, he said, Derek, you're being a glory thief. And I'm like, What? And I began to grieve over my sin of being a glory thief in little things. It was little things that God was showing me, saying, that's mine. Why are you stealing that attention from me? Why are you making this thing about you in, in your marriage or in ministry or, or even with your children? Why are you making this about you? And I was like, God, I don't want to see this. I don't want to deal with this. But God was trying to confront me with this because he was showing me error in my life so I could repent of it and so I could no longer live in a way where I'm doing good things, but yet God's checking my heart motive and saying, you need to, you need to reset your motive on this, buddy, because you're being a glory thief right now. And here's the thing. When we hold tightly to the blanket of tradition, it is false security. It is a blanket that cannot save you. It cannot make you holy. It cannot change your eternity. The Pharisees took something good and something that was given for a specific purpose in a specific time, and they elevated it above the original intent of why it was begun in the first place so that they could appear to be holy in other people's eyes, and maybe even some of them thought that that helped them find favor with God in his eyes. And if we're not careful, church, we can do the exact same thing. We can do the exact same thing if we're not careful. We can elevate the tradition of church attendance, giving communion, baptism, Christmas Eve, Easter, Ash Wednesday, Lent, Good Friday, fasting, prayer, even the symbol of the cross in such a way that we elevate the day, the event, or the item, or the symbol above God. And we think just because we have these things, we're good. And we look at all the things that we've done, and we look at all the days and all the traditions that we observe, all the things that we have. Your Christian bumper sticker does not make you any more right with God because you've placed it on your car. 
Your Christian jewelry does not make you any more holy or righteous just because you've put it on your body. Your Christian tattoos don't make you any more Christian just because you're wearing... Now, should should we not wear Christian jewelry? Should we not do these things? That's not what I'm suggesting to you today. I'm just asking you to examine where are you putting your hope? If you have a cross in your home, that's great. It doesn't make your home holier because there is a symbol of a cross in your home. It's what happens when the people of God live in that home. That's what makes your home holy or not. Am I living according to the way that's going to please God? Have I put my hope and my trust in Jesus alone, not in all these things? If you have a portrait of a likeness of Jesus in your home, that may be great. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because you may love Jesus, but let me tell you something. If you're putting your hope in the fact that you just always have your radio dialed in to Christian music, if you're putting your hope in the fact that you're just always doing this and doing that and checking this box and checking that box, if you're putting your hope in that, i I got to be honest with you. If that's where your hope is, I fear for you. I fear for you because are you putting your hope in Christ alone? Or are you putting your hope in the fact that you've done all these things? You see, folks, all these things that we do should come out of the fact that we know Jesus. We can't treat them as a pathway to Jesus, but rather they come out of our heart because we want to worship him. We want to remember the cross. We want to tell others that we're following Jesus because we love him, not doing these things hoping we go, hey, God, look, did you see what I did? God, did you see what I bought and put in my home? You like that? You like that, right? God's not impressed. Are you getting this? No more than Jesus was impressed with washing of hands. Jesus was not impressed with the fact that the Pharisees were well manicured. He wasn't impressed that the Pharisees had their germex. He said, you guys are hypocrites because you're worshiping me in vain. You're doing these things for the wrong reasons. Your hearts are far from me. In practice, you look good, but it's in vanity that you're actually worshiping me. Your heart is is in another zip code. Your heart is so far removed. They call them hypocrites. Because God's not after getting you to observe tradition. God's not after you wanting to, to learn when to stand, when to sit, when to kneel, when to pray, how to exactly say it, how to do all these things and hold your mouth just right and hope maybe if you get all the boxes checked that God will maybe listen to your petition. That's not how he works. He's not after the form because the scripture says that we can have a form of godliness but no power. We can actually deny, Paul says, the power by our form of godliness because we're putting our hope and our security in something else. And there's no power, there's no, there's no hope in that. But we think there is, and that's the deception. That's the great deception, I believe, is that we think I'm okay because I've done these things. And we never examine ourselves. We never stop and examine ourselves and say, do I really know Jesus? Have I really put my faith and my hope and my trust in Him? We don't examine ourselves because we'll just cling to that security blanket of tradition. And it doesn't make us any safer. And we're holding on to things that bring false hope and false security. But we tell each other that if we do these things, that we'll be okay. We tell people, oh, if if you just have a big, huge family Bible on your table, or if you just repeat these words after me and just say this prayer, you're gold, you're good. Folks, can I tell you there's no such prayer in Scripture? 
It's not about, have I done this? Have I done that? Have I checked the box? It's, do I know Jesus? At the end of the day, it's, do I know Jesus? Because Jesus gave us a parable where he said, there's going to be many people in that day when we appear before him that say, Lord, Lord, man, look at what all I did. I I, cast out devils in your name. I, 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 I laid hands on sick people in your name. I did all these good charitable deeds in your name. And Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. So do you know Jesus? That's when, when Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, that first scripture that we read to examine ourselves, that's what I'm hoping that we do today and that we don't find ourselves wrapped up in some false security because God's not after your tradition. God's after your heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul was trying to impress God by bringing uh, him sacrifices from the plunder of victory that God had just given to the people of Israel. But God had told King Saul very clearly to destroy everything and not to take anything back as plunder. And it's the same heart of the Pharisees to impress God with how well we can do all these things, washing our hands, keep these traditions. And we think these things help us find favor with God instead of actually obeying what he's actually wanting from us, instead of trusting in what he's actually telling us to do. And King Saul, he brought back all of these animals, and God said, utterly destroy everything. Like, don't take anything at all. But Saul started reasoning within himself. He started, like, negotiating with God. None of us do that. We're talking about Saul, right? We all negotiate with God. We're all going to go through these times where we're like, well, God, well, I'll do this, or I'll give this up, or I'll, or I'll serve you this way, but, you know, I still need to have my, my this over here. And Saul was saying, maybe God will like it. Maybe I'll be okay with God if we can bring back some of the plunder because God will really like the sacrifices because he loves the smell of burnt meat. And God says, do you think I delight in this, in this smell? Is that what you think I'm all about? You think I'm just looking for somebody to make a barbecue and maybe catch a whiff in heaven? He said, that's not what I'm after. That was never the point. But when we elevate the sacrifice and the doing of the, the thing we think is going to please God above obeying him and what he actually said, we're missing the mark and we're missing the point. And my friend, we need to evaluate our hearts and evaluate ourselves. We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We need to say, do I really know Jesus? Or am I just doing what I think will pacify God or maybe get me what I want from God? And this is what Samuel, the prophet, comes to King Saul and says in response. In 1 Samuel 15 and 22, read this. But Samuel declared, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, obedience is better than sacrifice, and attentiveness is better than the fat of rams. Samuel's trying to get his attention. And God used Samuel to speak this word very clearly. Do you think that God is happy with this sacrifice? Or do you think he was actually after obedience? That's what he's looking for. Not just another sacrifice. Over in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to turn to a couple scriptures here. You can just write these down. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul says this to the church in Galatia. Formerly, 
when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that I may have labored in vain. Paul's telling them, listen, you're, you're worried, more worried about observing days and seasons and months, and you're more focused on that. Why are you still clinging to that? Why are you still holding on to that? It was because it was bringing them this false sense of security. Over in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. He said, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is just God showing you how he's going to come. It's, it's, it's not because you need to elevate these things above him, because if you elevate all of your traditions above Christ, you're going to miss Christ. When he comes, because he's wanting, to, he's wanting you to have an encounter with him, for you to know him, not just know about him, because God's not after you just doing all the right things. He's after your heart. We are saved solely through faith in Jesus Christ because of God's grace and Christ's merit alone, not your merit and not my merit. Amen, somebody. I, I don't know if you feel like shouting or not, but I do. Because that means this thing is not dependent upon me. Because I can be pretty rotten. I can have impure motives. I can have impure thoughts. And I can say and do impure things. So thank God my salvation is not contingent upon my behavior, but rather upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. We are saved solely through faith in Christ because of God's grace and Christ's merit alone. In other words, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else. It's not Jesus plus observing the right days. It's not Jesus plus holding your mouth just right. It's not Jesus plus all the, all the right things to, to do. And No, it's Jesus and nothing else. And here's the thing. If you really have encountered Jesus, the things he wants to change in you, he is going to change if you have really encountered Jesus. And as you walk with him, I feel like it's kind of like this peeling back of the onion because God is, is he's still working in me just as I told you in January when we went to the spiritual retreat and God brought me to a place of severe grieving over my sin and repentance, a true turning away from certain behaviors and thoughts and attitudes that I had held that I didn't even realize were there. I'm talking about blind spots. Anybody got blind spots? Uh, Pastor Derek has blind spots. I don't see certain things that maybe I, I would do or the way I would do it. And God, when he revealed them to me, I saw the sin that they were and it grieved my heart and I repented over it. And I'm striving to walk in that, in, in that, in that reset that I have been given and that grace that I've been given because his mercies are new every morning. It wasn't like God beating me over the head and condemning me. No, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is correction because that's part of love. Don't, don't we correct those that we love? Isn't that what any parent would understand? That they would love their child and so therefore they would correct them? And it's not out of hate towards them or animosity towards them or disgust towards them. It's out of love. Because you see your child going down a path that, that is not right. And they don't even see it and they don't even notice it. 
isn't that really frustrating as a parent? When you see something your kid doesn't see, and you're like, no, I totally see right through you. It's almost like you can just see what's going on. And they think they've got you fooled. Like, they think that they can just behave and act or say a certain thing that you want to hear and that that's good enough. It's, it's kind of like when, you know, your kids will maybe do something to the other and they need to apologize. And a lot of times they don't want to apologize and they may not even know <clears throat> how badly they've offended or hurt the other. And so they don't even know they need to apologize. But when we reveal it to them, what do we do as parents? We do this song and dance that is not effective at all. We tell them, apologize to your sister. And what do they say? I'm so grieved over my sin. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that I treated you that way. That's not the way that I want to set an example to you of how um, a, a man should treat a woman. That's not, ex that's not at all Christ-like. I wasn't mirroring Christ to you at that moment. Please forgive me. I need to go repent and talk to God about this. They're not grieved about it. They go, sorry. <laughs> no, say it like you mean it. And, and, and in parent language, that means slower. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look her in the eyes. Give her a hug. I'm sorry. Can I go back and do what I was doing? But was there any repentance there? No. There was conformity. There was appeasing the parents. There was no repentance there. Godly sorrow works repentance is what Scripture says. There is a good godly sorrow that we can have, folks. And it's not this, oh, sorry, God, I know you got me. <laughs> sorry about that. Didn't mean to, you know, you know flick that person off in traffic. It's, 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 I was just upset. Forgive me about that, God. And we just move on. But we're not grieved over it. Are we grieved over our sin? I'm not talking about where we're just always sin conscious and all that stuff because we've been set free. But at the same time, if the Holy Spirit lives within us, if we have the Holy Spirit of God and God's showing us and revealing our sin, man, we should be like, oh, Lord, I want to turn away from this and I want to turn towards you. In this area of my life, I didn't even realize may have been a blind spot that you are not pleased with, that that's not okay, that that is not pointing people to Jesus, that's not glorifying God. And you want to glorify, Lord, your, yourself through me. And so, Father, help me with this. I need your strength in this. But God, I see, I see how egregious my sin was. And are we, are we broken over our sin? Because if Christ is enough, and if we really know him, then when he speaks to us and when he shows us things in our heart that are not like him, that aren't lining up, we should turn from those things. So, Jesus Christ is enough and we are saved through faith in Christ alone because of God's grace and Christ's merit alone. So how do we know this is true? Is it because of tradition that we were brought up in? Is it because of tradition that we observed? How do we, how do we know? Well, we know this to be true because we believe in sola scriptura, or Scripture alone. We believe that Scripture alone is found in these 66 books, and it defines for us our human condition without Christ, our sinful nature, and our inability to rescue ourselves from the wrath of God, because God is just, as we learned in the real God, and He cannot leave sin unpunished. But Scripture also reveals to us 
the goodness of God, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, taking our place, bringing us into right standing, legally and positionally in the eyes of our holy and perfect creator God, where we are no longer slaves, but we are now sons and daughters by adoption, where we cry out, Abba, Father, and we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, or we, and we can't please God any other way than through faith alone. Faith in scripture, faith in his word, faith in what he said, and folks, the bad news has to be bad before the good news is good, right? I mean, it has. The, 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 we see the, the depravity and the ugliness of our sin. We see that fallen nature. And then when Jesus has rescued us and we, we see that message of hope and truth and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy, it becomes so much more sweeter. Because I realize what I'm being saved from, what actually Jesus has rescued me from how he has made me new, where now I'm, I'm no longer a slave. I'm not a slave to that sin anymore. No, Jesus, I am now a son of God, and he who the son has made free is free indeed, and I can walk in that newness of life as a new creation where the old things have passed away and all things have become new. And I know these things because scripture, because I see in God's word, I see the heart and the nature of God, and I can trust in that. Otherwise, I'm trusting in tradition. In other words, is, is, is what I've been doing, does it line up with what God says, and do I really know Jesus? Does it really line up with Scripture, or am I just doing it because I've elevated doing this thing so I can feel secure, so I can have fire insurance, so I can feel okay, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all here at church, right? Like, that's got to count for something, and that's how we think. We think God operates off this karma-based system. If we do enough good and we don't do enough, you know, as much bad and we do more, more good than bad, then the scales of justice will tip our way, and that's not the way it works. See, Jesus did it all, not you. It's Christ alone, and we know this how? Through Scripture. Through Scripture. Every, see, that's the difference. Jesus, that's why Jesus is the stumbling block of offense for so many. That's what sets us apart from every other religion or, or way that someone could follow. It's Jesus. Because every other religion has some sense of moral code, ethical code. Every other religion has some form of prayer or sacrifice or service to their god or gods that are false and that can't do anything. The difference is Jesus. That's the difference. The difference is Christ, not morality, not worship, not sacrifice. The difference is Jesus Christ. He's the difference. And do you know Jesus, or are you just following another moral, deistic religion where you're just trying to be a nice person and hope the scales tip in your favor? And if you are, your tradition is not going to save you. And you're here today on purpose. God wanted you here. He knew a divine appointment, the providence of God. He knew you wanted to hear this. He knew you needed to hear this message. And maybe perhaps today you've been trusting in the wrong things. And today you see that error. What do I do, pastor? It's quite simple. It's the love of God that you're here today. It's the kindness of God that you're here today. It is the mercy of God that you're here today. It is his grace that you are here today. You repent. You say, Lord, forgive me for trusting in false idols. Forgive me for trusting in myself, for making, making God into my own image. Taking the image of the incorruptible, perfect, and holy God and making it into my own image the way that I want you to behave, the way I want you to act, the way I want you to respond. 
forgive me for doing that. And, and not just, sorry, sorry about that, God. I'm talking about you are grieved over that. Lord, forgive me for being rebellious towards you. I want to receive by faith the finished work of Christ that he did on the cross. I want to walk in that newness of life so I can have that fullness of joy, that fullness of peace, that fullness of love. And, and not just for me now. No, no, not just for me because it doesn't stop with me. It doesn't end with me. I'm a conduit. I'm not a container. It flows out of me because I can't help myself. It's like this fire shut up in my bones. It's like this passion and this love that I have for you because I am so in awe of who you are and what you've done. And I can't help myself. So therefore... When we have encountered Christ, our good works that come out of us are a result of our awe for God and not us thinking that's the pathway to get him to like us more. Are you hearing me this morning? Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For, he, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We can know truth because we trust in the Holy Scriptures. We know that His Word is forever settled, it's forever true. And we can find security in our hearts in knowing that we are right with God when we pour into and seek God through Scripture not, and we find Him. Because He said, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Not because of our tradition or our ability to walk through steps of man-made religion. Because Scripture is the ultimate authority for our faith and for our practice. And, and I feel like I've done more exposing than warning at this point because I did tell you my intentions were twofold. But the warning out of a heart of love and concern is this. If you're holding onto the security blanket of tradition as a hope that you are saved, that you are right with God, if that's what you're holding onto, the warning is then you do not know God. You are not saved if you're holding on to that as where you find your hope. Your hope should be in Christ alone. And that's, that's the word of God speaking the truth to you, not Pastor Derek trying to judge you because I would be extremely cruel if I did not warn you that you do not belong to God if you have not fully trusted in Christ alone. I, I, would, be, I would not be doing my job. If, have you trusted in Christ alone? If you have not been captivated by the message of the gospel, if you've not been drawn to a place of brokenness and repentance over your sin, and, and, and this confessing our sin, and, and this confessing Christ, all this stuff, listen, if, if you haven't done this, we, we cannot go by pop culture, by what we feel or by how we think God should be. Because that's the easy way to go. If we know the real God, then we must know the God of the Bible. We must know the God of the Holy Scriptures and what he says about himself and the pathway to salvation because it is written. Isn't that how Jesus responded to Satan every single time? What did he say when the enemy tried to come and tempt him? He said, it is written. He referred back to the authority of Scripture. He referred back to the authority of the Word of God. And folks, we can feel a certain way about God, and we can want God to be a certain way, but God's not going to conform. God's not going to go, oh, well, if you want me to be that way, I'll be whoever you want me to be. The real God is the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture, amen? And if he says this about himself, 
if he says we need to examine ourselves, if, if he says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him, then we need to trust in that. If Jesus says, in vain they worship me, their hearts are far from me, because they're elevating their traditions above actually worshiping God and truly obeying the commands of God. If that's us, if we're in that state, Lord, forgive us. Let's be grieved over that because it's healthy. And God wants us to know Him. And we can know that truth because we can trust in His Word. We can trust in the Word of God. We can't go by pop culture. We can't go by what we feel or how we think God should be. If we want to know the real God, we must know the God of the Bible. That's how we're going to experience real joy, real hope, real peace. Is when I know I've put my faith and trust in who he says he is, not who I want him to be. Amen? Amen. I want to read one more scripture to you before we, before we conclude here this morning over in John chapter 3, verse 1, story about Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can claim to do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered to him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you still don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness of what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He was telling the teacher of Israel, this Pharisee, he says, do you not get it? Are you missing it? Did, you've studied all the scriptures. Are you not seeing how these things point to who I am and, and how you're going to have to be born again? You're going to have to be made new. There's going to have to be this new creation thing happening in you. Don't you understand that you're spiritually dead, separated, cut off because of your sin? And don't you understand there has to be someone come, this, this perfect lamb? Do you not understand all the sacrifices? Do you not understand the reasoning behind all of this? He said, are you not getting it? He said, how can I teach you this? I'm not telling you to actually be physically born again like from, a, from, a, from your mother. Are you not understanding? He said, this is born of spirit. 
that which is of spirit. And, and then what does scripture say? We know that we are the sons of God because our spirit bears witness with his spirit. There's a bearing witness that I know I belong to God and my security comes from the fact that I have read about God in Scripture and I know who He is and I know what He said and I know that what He's done for me is so amazing and I've received it by faith because Romans 10 and 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that's why I'm preaching the Word of God to you today so you can hear and be stirred and perhaps reach out by faith and receive what Christ has done for you. And if you have already done that, then we need to just continue to examine ourselves. Lord, help me to examine myself. Not, not out of this, this sense of, oh no, does God really love me? Or God, does he really care for me? No, of course he does. But examine yourself to make sure you're not just treating him casual, that you're just not going through the motions. So have you been born again? Where does your security lie, your hope? Is it in what scripture has said? Is it in tradition? And if it has been in tradition, there is hope for you because today can be the day of your salvation. You can repent and receive the free gift of grace. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again, and that there's no other path to God except by him, scripture says you will be saved. Have you done this? Have you been made new? Have you been born again by the spirit of God through faith in Christ alone? And this confession thing isn't a one-time thing either because once made new, the true Christ follower will actually go through seasons of repentance and deepening in trust because I know, man, I'm, I'm deepening my trust, my faith in God the more I get to know him. That's one of the fruits of actually you being a Christian that you want to know God, that you want to seek him more, to continually walk away from weights and sins that have held you back as you grow in Christ-likeness, as you learn how to walk in the freedom Christ has bought and paid for you on the cross how to serve him and how to compel other people to come to him because of the love that God has shed abroad in your heart and because of the concern for eternity that you have to tell others what he's done for you to share your testimony so I want you to examine yourself today to make a decision to let go of religious pride and to seek God for who scripture says that he is and stop trusting in tradition and start trusting in Christ 